We are a church that wants to make much of Jesus in everything that we do all of the time. And we're also a church that understands that we are to be disciples and we're to make disciples. And as we're going through the book of Luke, which we've been doing for, you know, however many weeks we've been doing that, we have to ask ourselves the question, what does a disciple of Jesus look like? What does it mean to be a Christian, right? Here, here's the thing that sometimes we, if depending on our church culture, the word disciple can kind of be a little bit like radical. Disciple, that's for like the hardcore guys. That's a little out there. The word Christian is, you know, the nominal person who would identify. But scripturally, we, those things aren't two separate things. To be a Christian means to be a disciple of Jesus. And to be a disciple of Jesus means that you're subject to Jesus. That means whatever Jesus says, we do. Whatever Jesus encourages us to do, we do. And what Jesus did, we want to do. And it's, it's like he's the, the master plumber and we're the apprentice plumber. And we're saying, how do you sweat a pipe? How do you cut? Where do you do? And we learn from him and we follow his direction. Now, Here's the thing about the word Christian or disciple. I understand, and we are all feeling it probably culturally, that in this day and age, the word Christian or disciple is very subjective. Is that right? Maybe, maybe even 10 years ago, if you were to ask somebody in our area, are you a Christian, a lot of people would have said yes. And you would have gone, okay, well, define to me what it means to be a Christian. Well, I'm a good person. I don't think bad things. I don't cheat on my taxes. My parents went to church. I go to church. I do good things. And I think that when I die and I go before God, he's going to say, did you do more good than bad? And I'll say, absolutely. And he's going to look at me and go, yes, you're a Christian. Or maybe nowadays it's like, no, I'm not even a Christian. And like, I'm totally opposed to that. The church seems bad. The church is doing, the church is, you know, negative and church is always judging people. And so the word Christian nowadays could mean somebody who is bigoted, somebody who only thinks of themselves first or, you know, is a certain political standard, whatever it is. And if we are taking subjective standards of what it means to be a Christian, then we've lost the plot of being a disciple of Jesus. My encouragement this morning, friends, is as we go back to the gospel, is that we, what we need to do is ask ourselves, what does Jesus say about what it means to be a Christian? And as we unpackage this portion of scripture this morning, we're going to see again, as Jesus is going toward Jerusalem, historically, that's the context that we get here. Jesus is going back to Jerusalem to die on the cross for our sins and to be raised again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. He's doing this, and as his disciples and crowds and people and Pharisees and everybody who would be all in between are following him, Jesus is reminding the people, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to follow me. This, if you are going to say you are my disciple, this is what it means, all right? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this portion of scripture today and ask ourselves, what is a Christian? You guys ready? You guys with me? You guys ready to do this? All right. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. I'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning. And I just found that the, actually some of the words in here are, are closest to the original and are very helpful for us in English. So the NIV is going to be the scripture that we look at today. In Luke chapter 17, we're going to start 
not in verse 1. We're going to go back to verse 1, but we're going to start in verse 5, and this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, the apostles said to the Lord, speaking to Jesus, increase our faith. All right, they say this with an exclamation point. Verse 6, Jesus replied, he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. All right, now, here's the problem with this portion of scripture. Some of us already are going to what has been taught for many years, the wrong conclusion of this scripture. Many of us are already going to this understanding that what Jesus is trying to encourage his apostles, his disciples, telling us even for today that is, if you have great faith, then you can do anything you want. This kind of like, I would even say almost heresy, really unhelpful doctrine has been taught in the church. And you've heard pastors say, you need faith because if you have faith, you can do X, Y, and Z. Have faith and this will happen. After all, Jesus is saying, if you have faith, then you can say to this mulberry tree, I don't know what a mulberry tree is, like, but it's a tree, all right? He's saying, if you, could, if you have faith, you could, you could speak to this tree and it's going to be tossed into the ocean. And then we come into this conclusion thinking, okay, what Jesus is telling me here is that if I have faith, faith is some kind of mystical, magical power that I get from being a Christian. And if I really think about it and if I really muster it up, then I have faith. I can kind of make everything be subject to my will and my ways. And if there's a tree that I don't like and it's in the middle of my trail, boom, get out of here, tree, get tossed into the ocean because I have faith. The problem with that is when we take this verse in isolation, yeah, that should be the context. But what we can't ever do, friends, is just isolate Scripture and come to our own conclusions. That's why we get the problem of what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I think it means this. Well, I think it means this. No, what we have to do, here, let me just help us understand what context does for us when we're understanding Scripture. If I were to have a building, of a picture of a building by itself, some of, us, some of us would say, man, that's a big building. Some of us would say, no, that's a small building. Because it's by itself, it's subjective. But if I put that building next to a larger building, then we would all say, that's a small building. And if I put that building next to a small building, we'd all say, that's a large building. And so what we need to do with Scripture is look at the surrounding context of what is happening here. And does that make sense for you guys? So we have to ask the question. So first of all, I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, why are the disciples saying, Jesus, increase our faith? Why are they even saying that? Is it because they just want to be able to speak to mulberry trees? They hate all the mulberry trees. And they're like, Lord, give us faith. And he's like, that's right, just have faith. Get rid of all these stinking mulberry trees. Or is there something of a context that we need to understand? So, to get to the context, let's go back to verses 1 through 5, and this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into a, to the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause 
one of these little ones to stumble. So, watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must. Everyone say must. All right, you said it, now you're held accountable. Must forgive them. Verse 5. Now we get the understanding. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith! So, now we have the context. We understand that what we can't do with this portion of Scripture is just talk about faith and faith alone and how the pastor needs to come up and to tell you if you're a Christian, you need to have good faith and your faith will cause anything that is bad in your life to be fixed and be good. Because we know that is not the context of what is happening here. So now, let's go back to verse 6. All right, Luke 17, verse 6, he says, He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So here's what's happening. Jesus is giving some very objective truths about what it means to be a Christian. If you're going to be someone who follows me, this is what it looks like. You need to do this and this and this. The disciples are like, oh my gosh, that seems impossible. Increase our faith. And then Jesus says, if you have faith the size of what? A mustard seed. This will be done for you. And I want us to have the right understanding of what Jesus is saying here, friends. First of all, he's not saying that you have to have really big faith. He's not saying that you have to muster up your faith. He's not saying that the quality of your faith has to outshine someone else's quality of their faith so that you can stand out. All he's saying is that you have to have faith. That's it. Not that we put... See, here's the problem. If we think, oh, I got to have really good, strong faith. There's this problem in my life, and for me to overcome this, I need really big faith. And Lord, increase our, my faith. Like, I'm going to ask like a disciple. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not about that. See, when we do that, what we're doing is we're putting faith in faith. As if somehow my faith can make something happen. Let me give you an example. Let's steal this chair for a second. If I am wanting to sit down, and if you will, I don't have it here this morning, but imagine right here there's a paper chair made out of origami single ply that's more like toilet paper isn't it okay but i have a very you get the point and i have a lot of faith i mean my faith is way more than a mustard seed it is like a walnut let's just compare them i don't know is that like horticulturally is that okay bernie all right i have walnut sized faith I have mango seed faith. That's even bigger. It's large. Okay. I got mango seed faith, and I'm like way doing way better than what even Jesus said. And I look at that paper chair, and I go, because of my faith, I'm going to sit in that paper chair, and it's going to obey me, and I'm going to sit down with confidence. Well, bam, what's going to happen? I'm going to hit the floor. My tailbone's going to hurt for like a year, because that's how long it takes for those things to heal. And I'm going to be in trouble, and I'm going to be a little sad, because I think, What the heck happened? I had a lot of faith. 
But if I have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is like about, if you, if you don't know what the size of a mustard seed is, about the size of a poppy seed, those things you get in your teeth when you eat muffins. If I have just faith in actually a chair that is meant to hold me, then I can sit down with confidence. Now watch it break. I can sit down and know that this chair is going to hold me. The problem is that sometimes as Christians, we look at the chair, we look and go, oh, I can't sit in that. And Jesus is telling us, disciples, trust in me that you could do what I've called you to do. Because we see that before, Jesus is saying, this is what it means to be a Christian. But we get all confused with faith and we think, i got to have mango-sized seed faith so I can sit in this paper-thin chair. And Jesus is not telling us that. What he's saying is, your faith cannot be in faith. The object of your faith is what matters. And the object, friend, of our faith needs to be who? Jesus. See, what the disciples are doing is they're going, this is impossible. You're asking me to do something impossible. And Jesus is saying, I understand it's impossible. That's okay. I'm just asking you to have faith. Mustard seed size faith in me. Because I'm like that strong chair that is weight rated for 1,500 pounds. The thing that you want to toss into the ocean, you think you have this need this great faith, actually it just requires Trust in me. So apostles, disciples, Christians, when I call you to do these things, don't get all frazzled. Don't freak out. Don't think, i got to put faith in my faith. Think, Jesus, I just need to trust you. All right? All right, so this makes us ask the question, that if this is the context of faith, what are the things that we need faith in? What are the things that we need, uh, not in, because we know it's Christ, what are the things that we need faith in? Um, let's ask that question. And I'm going to give us how many things? I'm going to give us three things this morning that I think Jesus is pointing out to us that we need faith for. And here's the number one. We need faith to not be a stumbling block. We need faith to not be a stumbling block. And if we go back to this, we see that Jesus says, Woe to you who cause one of these little ones, not only just children, but people who are you know, young in their understanding of what it means to follow me. Any of you who, who would be teachers, any of you, woe to you if you cause one of these people to stumble. And the disciples heard this, and they were like, oh my gosh, man, that requires great faith. Now why do we need faith to not be a stumbling block? Okay, let's go back to the context. Context is, if we read just a little bit further back, Jesus is having this conversation with Pharisees before. And they're all teaching their ways and they're adding to Scripture is actually what the Pharisees would do. They would take the laws and then they would, on top of the laws, add their things on top of the laws and say, if you really want to count, then this is how you follow God. And so Jesus just goes... Survey says, no, that's not true. Hey, disciples, this is what it really means to be my disciple. Let's come back to the truth. And let's not cause all of these people to stumble. See, basically what the Pharisees were doing is they had a wrong understanding of who God was. They had, this is the problem with every cult. Every cult either adds to Jesus or takes away from Jesus. 
either says that Jesus wasn't fully man and fully God, Jesus didn't really suffer the way he did, and he was kind of aloof, and he floated around, and he didn't, you know, he didn't experience the same temptations we did, or they diminish Jesus and say, actually, Jesus isn't enough. You need to pray to these, all these different people. The, the, this person's going to take, this saint's going to take care of this, and this saint's going to take care of this, and pray to this, or do these extra things, and then you will be a completed Christian. And Jesus says, actually, that causes people to stumble because you're telling them something that is not true of my nature. You need great faith. You need actually faith just the size of, size of a mustard seed to believe who I am, to believe who I am. Now, most of us here this morning are saying, I'm not like sneaking up to somebody and going, hey, I'm trying to get you to stumble. I'm going to tell you, you should go steal something today. You should go look at something that's inappropriate. You should lie on your taxes. Well, most of us don't go around doing that, right? And so Jesus said, don't cause someone to stumble. You go, I'm not causing someone to stumble. But Here's the reality. There are things that we do that do cause people to stumble, and, and I'm going to give us a couple of those things. Number one would be, you ever be, have you ever been or experienced someone who's been an enabler to you? That would be someone who says something like, you know what? God wants you to be happy. God really wants you to be happy. And because God wants you to be happy, you should do whatever makes you happy. That's like, that's the way of the world, isn't it? That's even in the church, though. God wants you to be happy. You should do whatever makes you happy. Is that a right understanding or a wrong understanding of who God is? That's wrong, friends. And that causes people to stumble. Especially those who are maybe newer to the faith. If I were to tell my kids, Hey, Judah, you know, Judah, you know when I ask you to take out the trash and you really don't want to take out the trash? You know what? God doesn't want you to do anything you don't want to do, buddy. You just do you. His mom's going to have a problem with that later. This is what Jesus experienced the same kind of stuff. Look, Matthew chapter 16, 21 through 23, it says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand, hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then his good enabling friend, Peter, comes along in verse 22 and says, Peter took him aside and was like, wait a minute, hold on a second, what are you talking about here, Jesus? And he began to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord! He said, this shall never happen to you. 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. What does he say? You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind of the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know what, Jesus? Just do whatever makes you happy. God wants, he's concerned more about your happiness than he is uh, anything else, you do you. Jesus tells Peter, the same word that Jesus tells his disciples, don't be a stumbling block. And he tells Peter, you're being a stumbling block because you're trying to tell me something that is not true about who God is. Now, it's not just being an enabler. 
It's also being an accuser. Sometimes we act like accusers. These are the kind of people that say, you're counseling someone and somebody's going through a hard time in their life and you, you know why you're going through a hard time? It's because you're not doing enough for God. If you were to do more for God, God would see what you're doing and these things wouldn't be happening in your life. They wouldn't, you wouldn't be having trouble with your finances. You wouldn't be having trouble with your relationships. You wouldn't have been having been trouble with your car. See, the reason your car broke down is because God saw your sin and he's punishing you. See, that's not true either. There was this people in the book of Galatians, they were called the circumcision party. I don't know how that's a party. That does not sound like a party to me. That sounds the opposite of a party. But these were people who were telling the people in the church, if you want to be a real Christian, if you want to be a real Christian, what you have to do is you have to circumcise yourself. Because only then does it count to be a Christian. You have to add to your Christianity. You have to add to your faith. And this is what Paul tells the Galatians. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after being by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Guys, I think this is where we all kind of fall in line here. It's like we think somehow God is more happy with us. God is more ecstatic about saving us if we do the things he's called us to do. And therefore, we've added to this understanding we put on top of God. Yes, God forgives me, but he also will only really truly forgive me if I do X, Y, and Z. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, how are you guys doing? So we need faith not to be a stumbling block. And Jesus says that if we do this, if we're, if we're encouraging people one way or the other in a wrong way of understanding, he says, woe to you. He says it's better that a millstone be tied around your neck. What's a millstone? A millstone is this giant, huge rock that they would put inside another rock, and they would put grain, and they would make a donkey walk around, and the donkey was only strong enough to make this thing go in a circle. And as the grain got crushed under this rock, it would turn into flour. And Jesus is saying, it's not just like a millstone being put on your neck and you being tossed in the ocean. It would be better for you that a millstone, which probably weighs two tons, to be put on your neck and you to be thrown in the ocean than for you to cause someone to stumble. I was just sitting with some friends the other day and we were talking about Jesus being the I am. Remember when Moses met God and the fiery burning bush and Moses goes, who, who should I say you are? I gotta go to Egypt and tell, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Who should I say? And God says, tell Egypt I am. And this doesn't just apply to the people in our lives, friends. This applies to us. Because our temptation many times will be to forget that Jesus is the I am. To forget that Jesus is enough for us in every single circumstance. To forget that Jesus has paid the price completely and fully. And when we go through lives and we go through circumstances, what do we do? We try to make it happen in our own strength and in our own power. And what we do is we believe a lie about who God is. 
Jesus says, don't do that. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a disciple of mine, you must fully subject yourself to the truth of who I am, no matter how tough the situation is. And he says, all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. That's it. Just trust in me. So, number one, we need faith to not be a stumbling block, not just to others, but to ourselves. Number two, we need faith to forgive. And I think this is really one of the hardest areas here, right? This is what he says. Remember, if your brother or sister, so what is he speaking of? He's speaking about people in the church, our brothers and sisters, sins against you, rebuke them. So he's not saying, hey, just pretend like nothing happens. He says, go talk to them and say, hey, that hurt my feelings a lot. You were, uh, that was really messed up, right? Have a conversation. And if, if they repent, forgive them. Verse 4, even if they sin against you, how many times? All right, seven times. What does it say up there? Even if they forgive you, how many times? Seven times. Is Jesus saying it's because like seven times and that's it? No, he's trying to make a point here. Because this would be absurd. If Bernie comes up to me and lies to me in five minutes, and he, he goes, man, I'm really sorry, I repent, I told you, I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn away from that lie, I'm going to tell you the truth, and then I'm going to, you know, just do what, what I'm supposed to do. And then he comes back to me, and he says, I, guess what, I just told the same lie, <laughs> I can't help it, but I really repent. And I'm like, dude, what the heck, okay, that's weird, twice in a row all right, I forgive you, and don't do that again. Okay, we're both agreeing that's not going to happen again, right? right? Yes, I promise, it's not going to happen again. Comes back to me another 10 minutes, eh, I just told somebody else the same lie, I can't help myself. What's going on, Bernie? I don't know. And so Jesus is not trying to say, oh, well, you did it seven times. And so after the seventh time, that's it, the grace is running. Jesus is making a point here, guys. Seven times, it should be over and over and over and over over and over and over and over again. When your kids sin against you, that's hard. It's hard not to take it personal, right, when your kids sin against you. You got to remember, though, your kids are just little sinners. With a sinful nature, and your job as a parent is to disciple your children. When your spouse sins against you, it's hard because you got to live with that person. You gotta like see that person. You gotta have meals with that person. You gotta sleep in the same bed as that person. You gotta, there's a whole bunch of things, other things you gotta do with that person, which are really cool being married. Thank you. And I think what, what the disciples are saying, increase our faith. Jesus, what are you saying? Seven times? We get the point. You're not just saying seven and then stop forgiving. You're making a point. We get it, Jesus. You're saying just keep forgiving. Increase our faith. Guess what? If you have faith in Jesus, you can forgive. You cannot forgive somebody infinite amount of times without putting your faith in Jesus. How does that really work as a Christian? See, it first works because we've received forgiveness from Christ ourselves. If you're a Christian, that means the worst things that you've ever thought or done 
or even maybe premeditating to do, Jesus has paid the price for that. You know what? You're going to go sin. I'm not telling you as your pastor to do this, but I'm saying it's pretty likely when you leave the doors today, you might commit sin. You might commit sin in a week from now. You'll probably commit sin sometime this year. And it'll probably be more than seven times. And Jesus will say every single time, I forgive you. I've paid the price for your sin. But see, it doesn't just end with us. The cross of Christ does not just forgive us personally. It also empowers us to forgive others. And so the things that have been done to you, the cross of Christ absorbs your hurts. You being a victim. Yes, there are real victims today in this age. And, and, and so we cannot say the cross is only for me, but the cross has been done to me, and the cross has been done uh, is bigger than the, than the sins that have been committed against me. We only need to have faith in Christ for those things. Not, I'm going to show them. Not, I can conjure up enough like willpower to not feel hurt and affected by this sin. No, that's impossible. So the disciples say, increase our faith. And Jesus says, just have faith. Just have faith in me. You guys all right? All right. Last one. Look at this. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. We got five minutes left. Sheesh. Kids workers are going to be so happy today. Number three, and this is a portion of Scripture we haven't read yet. We're going to get to it. It says, number three, is that we need not only faith not to be a stumbling block. We need faith to be able to forgive. We need faith to serve God humbly. We need faith to serve God humbly. This is what the rest of this portion of Scripture says. It says this in verse 7. Jesus is continuing here, and he says, Suppose... One of you has a servant plowing, plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me a while while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Verse 9, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? And these are all rhetorical. Jesus, is at, the answer is no. Verse 10, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. All right. What in the world is Jesus helping us understand here? First of all, if we just read this again in isolation, we could kind of say, like, Jesus is teaching something totally different now. But remember, he's talking about how the Pharisees used to think that you could get to God if you do all these good things. God will reward you for those things. You can prove yourself about how holy you are, then God will look on that favorably. So we have to hold that in context too. But also we need to understand that Jesus is, is helping the disciples understand what it means to be a true Christian, what it means to be his disciple. And so we have to hold these texts together. This is like the building in the middle. There's a big one, there's a small one, and then we get the right size of what the building is here. And on the surface, we could look at this and go, man, this feels a little harsh. 
it feels like Jesus is just saying, like, suck it up, right? Suck it up. Do your job. Remember when Peter and Jesus are having this discussion about how Peter's going to die? And Jesus told him, yeah, you're going to suffer, actually, when you die. And then J- and Peter goes, well, what about James? And Jesus says to Peter, what does that mean to you? What does that matter to you? There's a little bit of that truth happening here. And I think, friends, that we also need to understand the heart of Christ, not only in this portion of Scripture, but what we see in previous portions, even in the book of Luke. Remember when he's telling the story about the bridegroom coming home? And he says, the guys who are preparing the time for the bridegroom, if they're faithful with what they're doing, Jesus then, the master of the house, will take off his kingly robes and he'll put on servant robes. And then he'll tell those servants who were faithful to come and eat with him at the table and recline with him. So we know that is true of the character of Christ. We know that Jesus is not saying here, if you follow me, I'm never going to love you. I'm never going to take care of you. I'm never going to thank you. I'm never going to, you know, comfort you. He's not saying that here. What Jesus is trying to get us to understand is what it means to be a true disciple. And in the context of following him, what are some of the principles that you and I need to know as we are endeavoring to do some things that really require some challenging faith? Okay? So, just to help us here, Jesus is not saying that we will not ever be thanked or comforted, or helped in our serving. Jesus is saying we should not have to be rewarded for simply doing our job. (laughs) Not being a stumbling block and forgiving others is simply normal and expected daily Christianity. I don't, when my son takes out the trash, or my kids you know, clean their bathroom and wipe down the sink or whatever. I'm thankful for that. But they don't come to me and go, okay, Dad, am I going to get a new car today? Like, why would you get a new car? Because I cleaned the sink. I go, that's what a normal human being does, cleans the sink. My kids know that's funny because I just talk about normal human being things. I'm like, a normal human being just acts this way. And they're like, Dad, that's so exaggerated. I'm like, it's not exaggerated. That's what normal human beings do. If you don't do that, you're a crazy person, all right? I remember listening to a comedian, and he was talking about a certain culture of people, and he said, these kind of people, they just want to be thanked for everything. And they're like, I take care of my kids. I pay my taxes. I feed my kids. And he's like, you're supposed to feed your kids. You're supposed to pay your taxes. You're not supposed to break the law. That's just what you do as a normal human being. And somehow, it's crept in from our culture that wants like a participation award for everything, right? We see it now if you're a parent. It's like, your kid came in last. Well done. That was amazing. No, it wasn't amazing. It was terrible. No, I'm just kidding, all right? Kind of. I'm half, my kids are like, no, that's pretty true, Dad. We don't need a participation award for being obedient to Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, it means be obedient to me. But it also means that God, this is, I think, even bigger picture for us. God will never be in debt to our faithfulness. God will never 
never be in debt to our faithfulness. Don't we, though, live that way sometimes? God, I, I just want to bring remembrance to you in my prayers. Remember when you asked me to do that really hard thing? I did it. Remember I did it? He's like, yeah, I'm glad you did that. Well, don't I kind of like deserve like a mail miracle? Like maybe something will come in the mail by a long lost relative who died, who I really don't care about that much, but had a lot of money and maybe I'm like third in line and can't you just make that happen because, you know, I was obedient to this to you this week? God, actually, you kind of owe me because this week's been really hard and I've, I've done everything you've asked and some. I've actually done more. I'm like trying to get bonus credit here. And so, I, I mean, look at that stuff. Come on, weigh it up, God. You, you kind of owe me. And God looks down at you and goes, actually, I owe you nothing. Zilch. It was because of my grace that you received anything from me. It was because of my mercy that I didn't smite you. And it's not because I'm so black and white and I look at you and go, well, he deserves grace, you know, or I will bestow upon him. No, see, this comes from the very love and the essence of who God is. The fact, friends, that Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago for us is the same story that we live in today. That God owes us nothing but out of his free grace, out of his free mercy, out of the kindness and the essence of his makeup and the character of who he is, he freely bestowed upon you and me for whoever will receive it, his grace and mercy and eternal forgiveness that cannot be taken away from either of us no matter what Satan and the enemy does, no matter how many times we mess it up, no matter how many ways people think about us, no matter what kind of circumstances come into our lives, Jesus owes us nothing, but he paid it fully so that you and I could experience that mercy and grace. And somehow, we have caused ourselves to stumble in our walk as Christians thinking we have to earn it because we have this wrong understanding of who God is, that he comes and he's weighing up every single part of our lives and going, you did this, you did this, you did this, and I did one thing, you did three. Now you got to go back and do more so that it equals up and we can weigh you up in the balance. When you die, one day I'll be able to say your good outweighed your bad. Well done. Come into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that God will never owe us anything because he really already paid everything for us. We love meritocracy, don't we? We love it. It works. It works. Be a better employee, get paid more. Work hard with the things you've been given, you get the American dream. We like meritocracy doesn't work in the gospel kingdom. It doesn't work with Jesus. See, it's free. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to get brownie points from God. We need faith, 
to remember that. We need just mustard seed faith to not go, I'm going to sit on that paper chair. I'm going to make it happen. I know I can do this. I'm looking at that paper chair, and I'm feeling it, and I feel that paper chair is feeling it with me, and we're in one together, and I'm going to sit on it with all the confidence in the world. No, what Jesus is calling us to do is to say, this is the chair I've asked you to sit in. Put your hope, put your faith in me. That is all you need. Nothing else, nothing more. Amen? All right, will you stand with me this morning?